Welcome, everyone. Today, we're going to be speaking to Clifton Duncan. He is someone whom I don't even know where I saw him. It was some, he was giving a little presentation at a podium, and I just said, I've got to speak to that guy. I'll explain to him why I bum rushed him and brought him in here. But uh, I'm interested in hearing what he has to say. And uh, tomorrow, don't forget, we have the great Naomi Wolf in here with Dr. Kelly Victory, who will continue with us on a, our Wednesday journeys. Uh, I believed we have the following Wednesday set as well, Susan. Am I seeing? Yes. Uh, Dr. Robert Malone is yes. interesting as well. So a lot of controversial figures we're gonna we're going to interrogate, so to speak. Uh, in, uh, the new book, Naomi Wolf's got, I I know it's up here somewhere, but I can't see it. Uh, is really a pleasure to read, and I'm anxious to talk to her about it. it really is a sort of a firsthand, almost like a diary account of what went down for her, and it's quite exemplary. And uh, I bring it up because Clifton has a similar story. I suspect cancellation. People that say cancellation is not a real thing, uh, please listen to Clifton for a few minutes and let's see what shows up. So let's get right to it. Our laws as it pertains to substances are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic. Because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous I'm a, I'm a doctor for sake. Where the hell you think I learned that? I'm just saying, you go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. And welcome, everyone. We appreciate you all being here. Uh, start off a new week. Uh, we are going to take calls today in addition off Twitter spaces. And I believe Thursday is going to be exclusively calls. Is that correct, Susan? Or do we have a guest? Yes. No, it looks like just calls on Thursday. And tomorrow, um, let's the three uh, hosts are not short on um, content. So I don't think we'll be taking much calls tomorrow. I think we both have, all three of us have a lot to say. So I'm suspecting. But it, who knows? Uh, I may have a chance to get some callers tomorrow as well. Uh, Susan, you good? Yeah, I'm okay. You're okay. Okay. All right. Well, let's bring in our guest. Uh, Clifton is an actor. He uh, was silenced for having the temerity to go out and uh, had questioned whether or not the RNA vaccine was in his best interest. I'm sure there's a whole story here. I really don't know the story, and I'm anxious to hear it. Uh, you can follow Clifton. Uh, Caleb, tell me where the Twitter handle is. We got it wrong it's on Twitter spaces. Clifton A. Duncan. I thought he said Clifton Duncan online. Did I not That's his that? Instagram. Instagram. Okay, Clifton Duncan online is the Instagram, and Clifton A. Duncan on Twitter. Uh, and we're, of course, out on Rumble as well. I will watch the uh, ranters there, as I always do, and all the trolls that show up. And we're monitoring you guys over on the Restream. So let's bring in Clifton. Afternoon, sir. Thank you for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure, Dr. Giroux. I appreciate you having me here. So, so I, I, I literally watched about two minutes of you. It must have been a YouTube post or something at a podium and I just went, I must speak to this man. <laughs> this is the guy I got to talk to. You were so dispassionate, so reasonable. And I thought, this guy needs to be heard. I need to hear what he's got to say. Uh, I, I really didn't even listen to the rest of your speech. I wanted to hear it from your mouth in real time. And if we, if this kind of request came out of nowhere, that's where it came from. I said, this is a guy that seems reasonable, and we should be hearing what he has to say. So what happened to you? 
Yeah, it was a little unexpected. Uh, so the speech that you're referring to, I was asked uh, to go and give some remarks to uh, some of the incoming students at the Mises Institute, uh, which is a libertarian sort of um, uh, economics uh, institute, uh, really based in like Austrian economics. And so it was just funny to me when I was asked, because uh, as as we all are aware, I'm an actor and I had no idea what I was going to say to these uh, to these kids. And uh, so I just decided to go with the story of how I got there in the first place. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I can't really dress it up or make it sound more exciting than it really is. Um, I was I was doing my thing as an actor. I was based in New York City. Um, I Most of my work was in the theater, but uh, um, around 2017, things began to really take off. Um, I debuted on Broadway, did some major shows off Broadway, um, did um, some great television work. I even did a play out in Pasadena, where you are. Um, and the playhouse. 20, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, things were just going really, really well. And then the pandemic hit. And, um, you know, what, what's what's ironic about it, Drew, is that at the beginning, I was probably uh, two or three months ahead of where everyone else was. Uh, in other words, while everyone else was enjoying um, Donald Trump's first impeachment, um, I was the one who was who was stocking up on canned goods and medical supplies. I still have nitrile gloves, as a matter of fact, from mm. all that, that, mm -hmm. that uh, binge buying I did. And even at that time, this was like maybe late January, early February of 2020. And it was already difficult to find uh, to find surgical masks. But um, but I was totally in and I. Uh, you know, I was pestering my friends and loved ones with with statistics and warnings and urging them to get prepared as well. This was back when everybody was saying, you know, it's just the flu, brah. And uh, I was one of the few people in New York City who was uh, masking and gloving on the trains, um, receiving some derision uh, because of it. So do you have any then, uh, do you have any predictions for the future? Anything coming ahead for us? <laughs> that was a pretty good call <laughs> in January of 2020. <laughs> anything anything well, I should be know, aware of right now? <laughs> any stock well, you know, tips? Well, well, <laughs> right. Well, I can't I can't share any on air with you. I don't want to. But no, well, well, the irony of it is, though, Drew, it's you know, it's about the flow of information, isn't it? It's where we get our information yeah. from. And um, what was funny is that uh, the, the hashtag like it was like Fox News lied and people died. But the irony of that is that it was late January. Um, I believe it was Senator uh, Tom Cotton. I think it was uh, Tucker Carlson and Greg Gutfield. One on the 26th and then the 28th and then the 29th of January, all respectively. They were they were talking about something happening in China. And, you know, I, I stopped watching television regularly a long time ago. And so, I'm you know, I've been watching a lot of YouTube commentators. And it was those people who are often banned and censored who were saying something is happening. Now it's hit the Middle East. Now it's ripping through Italy and Spain and something really bad is happening. So you might want to start um, stocking up ahead of time for for things. And um, so that's what I did. And over time, uh, as things began to progress, I just began, things just really weren't making all that much sense to me. I was very confused by some things and uh, I began having questions. And um, there was a point where Andrew Cuomo, our disgraced former governor in New York, um, you know, he, he put out this um, executive order on March 25th and it was in paragraph five. I remember this document and it's a good thing I do because it was... Uh, it was subsequently scrubbed from the New York governor's uh, New York government's website for mm. some reason. I can't imagine mm. why. Um, but mm. it basically said that uh, you're not allowed to um, discriminate against people in these nursing facilities um, based on their COVID status. Now, on one hand, I, I tried 
because on, on the right, you had these um, narratives that were forming that, you know, Andrew Cuomo was a murderer. And to me, that was a little bit, a little bit much. And so I tried yeah. to say, you know, what is the, you know, what is the logic behind making this, this, this decision when we already knew at this point? I mean, I think when, I mean, so long ago, but when the virus hit, it hit this, um, the big story was that it ripped through this nursing home in Seattle. And so we already sort of knew, and they were calling it the boomer remover, for God's sakes, at the beginning. So we knew who was most mm -hmm. vulnerable at the beginning. And so I didn't understand um, why they were making this decision. And, you know, the red tape and bureaucracy in New York, I mean, nothing really gets done. It's really, really bad. And so you have these people who worked at these facilities who were saying, we're not ready for this. We're not prepared for this. When we tried to contact the governor's office for assistance, you know, we got no answers. We got the runaround. Um, so it... The, the base question for me was why, when we understand that the most vulnerable people to this particular uh, disease tend to be over age 65, why are we allowing these kinds of infections to spread in this particular place? Let me, so let me like ask something. I want to ask something about what, what you were, were you at that point still only consuming sort of quality sources online or did you start to look at television again? Because if you had been looking at television, the idea of it affecting the elderly was very quickly swept away. Although we mm -hmm. kept hearing about elderly people in certain risk populations, but they, they really went to great lengths to minimize that part of the COVID story. So I'm wondering if the governor believed that, that, it, that there was no excessive risk for the elderly. I mean, probably some added risk, but that it wasn't primarily a disease that affected the very elderly. It's it's hard for me to think that, um, you know, I, whenever I did watch uh, more, I guess you would call it, I don't like to use this term, but mainstream uh, or maybe corporate press, um, it was honestly very confusing to me. One of the reasons I mean, I was I was actually watching uh, Trump's pressers and um, uh, for I watched him for about a week. And, you know, there were definitely some cringe moments as you know, he's he's really good at producing those. But at the yeah. same time, I felt like. Well, it seems like, you know, we got caught with our pants down. I'm not sure what any government can really do, and given the position that we're in. But um, I watched these pressers, and it was basically like, okay, we're we're doing this, and I'm working with this private company, and we're doing this, and we're we're working on this. We're canceling student loans, or not canceling, but you know what I mean. Uh, stop or halting yeah. uh, student loan payments, and and um, uh, yeah. you know. Uh, eviction moratorium, so on and so forth. Now, here is the guy from FEMA to, to explain more about this. Here is Dr. Zahn. Here is um, Surgeon General Jerome Adams. Here is Deborah Burks. Here is uh, Anthony Fauci to talk about various aspects of our response. And from what I understand, um, his, his uh, approval polls began to kind of tick upward. And that's kind of when you saw Washington Post and Rachel Maddow say, don't watch this guy. It's really dangerous. But uh, mm -hmm. it was funny to me because I was, so I would watch these pressers and I was like, all right, I, well, okay, well, we'll see what happens. And there was one day in particular where uh, the the subject of, uh, are we allowed to say this, hydroxychloroquine came up. And, yeah, it uh, might be canceled, but yes, it, it uh, that's where things turned. Well it, well, it was very strange because, and it, this ties back into the press coverage, because when I watched that, my memory of that particular press conference was Trump saying, you know, it might work, it might not. I don't know. I have a good feeling about it. And then Dr. Fauci mm -hmm. came on and said he was much more measured. He said, 
basically, you know, we need to do some more testing and research. That's essentially what he said. So then later yeah. on, people like Brian Williams and so forth were just saying like, Fauci tears Trump down. But they were creating this narrative that uh, Fauci yeah. was just this anti-Trump crusader. And it, it became very evident very quickly who was actually watching the pressers and who was actually watching the, the reporting on the pressers. So right from the beginning, you began to see this huge divergence in terms of what you were calling quality information and quality info versus what everyone else was watching. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, to the point where it, got, it just became very confusing because one of the, the things was like, well, you know, there are doctors, there are physicians, and I'm, I'm sure you've spoken to at least some of these people like around the world who are working and busting their butts trying to figure out how do we treat this thing? How do we make mm -hmm. it so that people don't end up in the hospital? You know, and, and I began to wonder what you're telling me that um, as novel as this virus may be, there's nobody anywhere on earth who's ever treated uh, clotting or lung inflammation or any of the other sort of uh, symptoms for this thing. Um, so it became very bizarre um, very early on. And, um, and it, you, you can't I, imagine from, from my perspective, how bizarre it was. To, oh, yeah, to sure. sort of the 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 final pathway of that on the medical front was doctors waving at patients saying, "Yeah, come back when you're sick and when your PO two is eighty five, let me know." Which is I, in the history of medical training and medical practice, not following up, not treating, not caring for. It's it's disgusting. It's really a problem. But by that by the point doctors were doing that. This momentum you're talking about, this derangement that seemed to take over, where everyone mm. ran to the other side of the boat. Everybody had an opinion about a medication whom they just learned how to pronounce. The, <laughs> the word hydroxychloroquine had never I've been using it for 30 years. I'm quite comfortable using it. I've used it forever. I've, you know, uh, my my good friend's girlfriend is on hydroxychloroquine for years for her lupus. I mean, it's just just a first-line drug because it's so harmless. Now you have an opinion about it, and the New York. So, so this moment happened. I, maybe we need to crack it down even further because it's really interesting the way you're describing this. T two things happened. There was about a, probably a month or two interval there where this all went down, where all this running to the other side of the boat on hydroxychloroquine. But the other thing happened with lockdown as well, where mm. everyone ran to the to lockdown, and as part of that. The school closure thing jumped in. No, nobody recommended school closure. I was I was actually on television the night the LA Unified School District closed down, and they brought in a school board member. I said, "Who told you to do this? Where is the evidence that this is important? What did this? No CDC is saying it. Where did you even come up with this idea? Uh, we just think it's the right thing to do. So, so break down for me also hmm. what you saw." After that hydroxychloroquine, so by, by the way, in California, by that point, we had a governor bringing in a hospital ship, telling us we have to lock down. Mayor in Los Angeles telling us no hope, mass deaths, shelter in place. Those right. are words you utter when there's a nuclear attack about to about to <laughs> uh, hit the hit the the city. I mean, literally. And I, I was like, what What is he saying? It's just so unhealthy. But I'll, I'll let you kind of. Go back to the, the hydroxychloroquine presser and move us forward from there.
Well, you know, for me, uh, you know, the, the the big thing isn't so much the hydroxychloroquine, which, by the way, I can't believe you've been using it for 30 years. How many people have you killed, Drew? Um, I know. In, in yeah, thank you. Time. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Look, it looks like the I word medicine, the I word medicine is the same thing. Oh. You know, ivermectin is is actually mandated for patients, for people that come in as refugees into this country. You're, the uh, CDC mandates a week of ivermectin for everybody that Hold sets on. foot on this soil. So Hold on, Drew. The next thing you're going to be telling me is that the guy that found the compound won a, no won a, like a Nobel Prize or something. Yeah. Shocking, right? Shocking, <laughs> shocking. But anyway, that's sort of incidental. And by the way, and by the way, to, right. just to be clear, these things don't work for COVID. Uh, really, I don't think at all. I, I mean, certainly when you compare it to like Paxlovid now, which like, boom, takes, boom, wham, you're better very quickly. It's nothing like that. But we didn't we had nothing back then we had zero to offer patient and by the way we missed a lot of things that we could have done because people were trying things that were working like steroids and budesonide and we missed all those things because no one was willing to talk about treating their patients for fear of somehow not being a part of the the cool kids club or something i don't know what it was but go ahead and you know, well the cool i mean we can get back to the cool kids thing later but it was the strangest thing because you know, even, I mean, the, the debate about the, the eye drug um, and to some extent hydroxychloroquine, as I understand it, is kind of still raging. But the point for me is, well, you know, we have these other physicians who swear by these drugs um, and they claim that they're having great success with them. And my question from from the jump was, well, why would these people put their reputations and their careers on the line to push these particular drugs if they're not working? It's not it's not it's not me saying that there's some sort of magical wonder drug. I don't think that's the case. I think a lot of doctors yeah. are advocating for, you know, a course of drugs, you know, given wherever you're at, at the disease at that, and, and, you know, and your particular profile. And, um, mm -hmm. but, you know, the, the, the main thing for me was um, over time, and maybe this is my bleeding heart artist, you know, part of me that's sort of speaking out, but I said, it seemed, it appears to me that everything that we are being asked to do in order to mitigate the spread of this virus goes against everything that makes life worth living. And that extends to what they're doing to kids. I mean, I'm in, um, I got pulled in to this uh, group of moms on Twitter uh, in, in a Twitter chat uh, because I was one of the people who was um, speaking up uh, about uh, the school closures. I'm like, dude, private schools are, are still open. You, these European schools are still open. Why are we doing this in America? And why are people pretending as if these other countries don't exist. And um, so it was just a very, very weird thing that we saw, I guess, being on the outside of it, watching people just sort of careen from one narrative to the next based on whatever the headlines were versus the people who were shunned as um, anti-science or whatever, who were saying, well, no, we have a lot of data here. We'd like to just talk about this and have a debate yeah. about this yeah. so that we know what the best course yeah. of action is. And um, that's right. The same, the same thing with the uh, with the lockdowns as well. Um, I'm somebody who, mm -hmm. you know, I I think I'm one of the maybe the, one of the few actors who thinks that economics is important. Uh, but um, you know, whatever people might think about that, it's it's part of the thing is that you have to sort of you you, you have to look at the trade offs of whatever you're doing. And yes. um, I, I, it's totally understandable at the beginning where we said we don't know what the hell's happening. And maybe it's a good idea to kind of take a pause and and step back yeah, for a little bit. Sure, but um, absolutely. But over over time, when it just began to it, it was dragging on and on and on, and just especially living in uh, the city, I I call it the city formerly known as New York. It's funny you listen. I'm listening <laughs> to what you were talking That's about. Very um, funny with 
what was going on <laughs> in LA. I mean, you know, people weren't really talking about here. First of all, our doofus former mayor, Bill de Blasio, I, I can't meet, I've never met anyone who likes Bill de Blasio, much less anyone who ever admitted to voting for Bill de Blasio. But this guy <laughs> at the beginning was saying like, oh, you know, go out to the movies. March 15th, he put out this tweet. March 15th, 2020, he was like, I just saw this great, I can't even do his doofus voice, but you know, I just saw this great <laughs> movie. Go, go check out, you know, this film and go ride the subway, yada, yada, yada. Um, and then of course uh, they changed their tune uh, very rapidly, but you know, the same kind of deal with New York. We had this hospital ship that came in, was barely used. We converted multiple um, facilities in Manhattan, in Queens and in Brooklyn in order to handle overflow. They were barely used before they came down. Um, and there just came a point where we were, it seemed as though the restrictions were either maintaining or increasing despite all these other, inf you know, these other tidbits and infos and signs of improvement that we were going through. Um, on top of right. that, um, there was a small uh, Jewish outlet, um, and I can't remember the name right off the top of my head, unfortunately, but they leaked a phone call with Andrew Cuomo speaking with um, a few uh, uh, rabbinical leaders or whatever. And he said, Andrew Cuomo said point blank um, that these are fear driven policies. These are not nuanced. They're driven by fear. And then when you think about, you know, there was a New York Times article that came out um, that uh, around April 2020, where they, you know, 3,700 people were added to the death toll, but they weren't, but it, but it was presumed COVID deaths. They were never tested. I'm thinking to myself, okay, mm -hmm. wait a minute. At a time where we need as accurate information as possible so that we can really assess how deadly this thing really is, why are we guessing? <laughs> you know, why are we doing that? But the right. thing, but the point is That's that, right. you know, and then, and then when you think about the, the nursing home fiasco and how tens of thousands of people, I think, needlessly died, um, mm -hmm. allegedly, you know, uh, because of mm -hmm. these actions. So the, these possibly. numbers are being possibly. So these numbers are being used to pump these fear driven policies that are allowing Andrew Cuomo to sell a book and to win an Emmy and to be called America's governor. Meanwhile, I'm like, dude, no, you're totally botching this and you're destroying the city. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah but he but he was not alone he was not alone it, it really no. was coming from uh, all sources and i i've come to understand through like interrogating various people that were there in real time much like yourself and were sort of paying attention that the fear-based policy was exactly what they were using without regard for the full impact that would have on the populace there was no risk-reward analysis done. I agree with you on that. But this fear thing, I, I, I'm tr I really want to understand what they were doing because it, would so, it seemed so nonsensical at the time. But, but the fear-based policy was to get to a vaccine. That was the that was the we, we're gonna we're gonna really the, you know this one death is too many policy, which is you can't Sorry. practice medicine it, like, like yeah it's just no. it's just and by the way think of the many 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 tens of thousands of deaths they caused with what they did i mean right we're you know this is the point yeah yeah of course one death is too many but doing too much to save that one is going to cost thousands of others you have to you have to be nuanced in what you're doing but the the um, fear-based policy was to get to a vaccine so it was it was vaccine uberalis and in the meantime, safety Uberalis, both not very nuanced policies. And as you look back, probably not 
right policies. So here, here's what I want to do. Uh, I want to take a little break. I'm, I'm going to talk now about vaccine. Uh, oh, goodness. Somebody put oh, a, uh, a, a giant, um, essentially a, a, a chapter from a book on my restream page, Susan. I, there's no way I can read <laughs> eight words of that. Um, but in, I just wanted to remind people about yeah. the, the fear-based, uh, you know, the press got eyes from the fear. So they loved it and could yes. not get enough of it. If I saw the words grim milestone one more time, I swear to God, it was going to eat my television. And I remember when there were 600 deaths, they were saying grim milestone. It's like, I, and I kept saying, what, what are you going to call it when it's 3,000? Stop with the language. It, it's going to be bad. It's going to be difficult. It's, it's not a grim milestone at 600. This is a serious thing. We're, gonna, we're all working on it. We're in it together. We're going to get going. No, the opposite. Doomed, mass deaths. Let's get as maudlin as he can with every single story. And that was their business model. So, I, you know, part of it was the, the uh, misadventure that the, the policymakers created. I'll grant you that. But the media jumped on so thoroughly. And by the way, yeah. people like the New York Times editorial board, who are they to have an opinion about medical policy and medical decision making? They have no I'll business having an opinion, let alone mandating things like lockdowns. I'll do you one better, uh, Dr. Drew. I was very curious early on as to why we had someone like Bill Gates, who is not a scientist, who is not a doctor, who's not an epidemiologist or a virologist or a vaccinologist or an immunologist. Why does he get to say, well, you know, we really won't get back to normal until we have a vaccine. And why, why do you get to just say that? And we just go along with it. You know what I mean? And meanwhile, they say, trust yeah. the experts. Is Bill Gates an expert yes. just because he gives money yes. and invests in these kinds of technologies? Yes. It's not like a bad thing. So, so, and so, so That was a great impersonation, by the way. I was going to say two way. things. One, it was, it's Bill Gates, after all. But secondly, great impersonation. Great great Bill Gates impersonation. But but I, I, I will stop us there because we're going to get into the vaccine territory, which is really the, the meat of your story, and I, and I want to hear it out. So uh, let's take a quick break, and we'll be back in just about a minute here. I think we have found the holy grail of skincare. Genucel has absolutely changed, certainly my skincare regimen. I like that vitamin C serum, the under eye creams, skin nourishing primer. Susan loves the eyelash enhancers, uses it on her eyebrows as well. Genucel has everything to make us both feel and look amazing. Best part, the quality of the products. Using pure ingredients like antioxidants, copper peptides, and a proprietary calendula flower base, Genucel knows how to formulate products to perfection without irritation. For Susan, she hates that annoying dry area under nose during allergy season, like right here. She's tried everything, but no matter what, the skin is flaky and dry. Nothing seemed to help until she started using Genucel's Silky Smooth XV Moisturizer. Soaked right into the skin. She was hooked after one use and now loves all of their products as well. I am a snob when it comes to using products on my face. The dermatologist makes a ton of money from me. But when I was introduced to Genucel, I was so happy because... It's so affordable and it works great. I was introduced to the Ultra Retinol Cream, which I love at night. All the eye creams are amazing. People notice my skin all the time and I'm so excited because it's actually working. Right now, you can try Genucel's most popular collection of products and see what I'm talking about for yourself. Go to genucel.com and enter code DREW for 10% off. That is G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com and the code is D-R-E-W. 
I love those ads for a series of reasons. One is it's a great product and we stand by it. But secondly, Susan is so is such a snob. She really is. And it's such an such a little honest. I have uh, like Sephora there. in my bathroom. Oh. It, it, Drew laughs at it. Oh. I have every skin Laugh cream. At it. Shutter is the word. And now you know what? I'm missing some of my Genucell and I'm really upset. I don't know if I've got I've got a tube of the eye stuff in my bathroom. Well, I, you I whenever yeah. it when we go between houses, I like I don't know, they get lost or mm. Somebody picks one up and says, hey, this is cool. I'll take stuff. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I need some more, Caleb. <laughs> more is okay. on the way. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, so let's get back to, to uh, Clifton's story here. Uh, again, follow Clifton. Uh, give us all the, the places that people want people to find you and what you're working on right now. Right. So um, you can you can find my uh, my Twitter mediocrity at Clifton A. Duncan. That's the handle on Instagram. Uh, I'm at Clifton Duncan online. I also have a YouTube channel, which is just uh, Clifton Duncan. It's my first and last name. I'm going to find Clifton A. Duncan on Twitter right now. Um, all right. So back to Bill Gates. Hang on a second. <laughs> Clifton A. If I put Clifton, I want to make sure it comes up. Uh, oh, yeah. You're she, her. That's you, right? Yes, that that Clifton is me. Duncan? Those are okay. those are my preferred That's pronouns. You. I'm following. There you go. We'll follow her. Uh, all right. So, uh, so now, now it's uh, vaccine uberalis, sape duvervalis, and then I, there was a third component I noticed that they were using as their way of determining their forward progress. So it was safety uberalis, get to the vaccine uberalis, distribute the vaccine uberalis and equity uberalis. So you had to mm -hmm. you had to fit their their equity you know sort of criteria also in order to get the vaccine, and then <laughs> these are the same people that then put in passports and all kinds of other d d un inequitable kinds of policies that were explicitly discriminatory, and it was this was their idea of how to do this. But let's give your your vaccine story. What happened? Well, you know, it's not really much of a story. Uh, I guess I'll start it uh, from when I moved uh, out of New York. I fled the city formerly known as New York and came to Atlanta, Georgia, where I am presently. And um, before before moving, you know, I, I I made sure to check. I said, is there like just any extreme data coming out of Georgia? And I couldn't find any. And um, excuse me. And I and I knew that if there were mass deaths occurring, there's no way that it would have escaped um, the press. As you were saying before, they were just huge into their fear mongering. And so yeah, yeah. When, I, when, I came, when I came to Atlanta, it, it was like night and day from, you know, when you're in Manhattan, um, I don't know if people who aren't there, they don't understand that, uh, you know, you're, you're inundated every single day with this idea that you're in this pandemic. I mean, you know, there's arrows on the yeah. sidewalk telling you where to stand. There's all these digital uh, announcements, uh, vocal announcements on the train, uh, placards on the bus, yeah. taxi. I mean, there's all this advertisement around. So it was just ubiquitous. And, and, and by the way, for full, for, 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 for uh, sort of being reasonable, it, it, it's the, the city formerly known of New York as New York sort of resembles New York again. And so a lot of that stuff has settled and the New Yorkers in their own way are pissed. I can tell they're tired. Stop it. Uh, and so there is a certain amount of, uh, New York becoming New York again. So go ahead. Well, I, you know, the, maybe the city is, but a lot of the people there, I, I don't, I don't know about them yet, but uh, you know, but when I came down to Atlanta and you know, the, the, the gyms were mask optional, um, the bars and nightclubs were packed. I mean, you could, you know, I joked all the time, you, you could get a titty dance at magic city 
and but you couldn't go see a Broadway show. And I'm thinking to myself, like, who, who, who was really essential here? You know what I mean? But you know, but you had people. It was, well, right. I mean, come on now. I mean, as you put it, maybe there's a, the, some career choices well, that need to be examined, Clifton. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, hysterical. That is hysterical. But uh, but but it, but it was so weird because I got I got. I got down here and I mean, there was one day we went out to a, this beautiful park called Piedmont Park and there were people who were outdoors, they're playing with their kids, they're playing cars, they're cards, they're drinking beer, they're having, you know, barbecues. I mean, it's like everything, I mean, not a mask in sight, you know what I mean? Meanwhile, in New York, they're just, you know, they're, people get mad at me because I'd be like outside with my face freely flowing, how dare I? And, um, you know, whistling and beatboxing on the street as I, as I walked by. Um, but it was so, so, so different. And that's when I began to say, well, wait a minute. People don't seem to be, um, you know, dying in the streets here. Um, so I took up a job. I was working at a nightclub, which was um, in and of itself funny because night after night after night, I saw all these people who, you know, I mean, my job was literally like shaking people's hands, getting in their faces, stopping fights, dealing with drunk people. So, you know, there was no hope. I mean, they, they, they tried to make us wear masks at the beginning, but guess what? You can't talk over loud music and communicate clearly when you're mm. wearing these things. Also, our, our cocktail mm -hmm. waitresses, the poor things, you know, they're, they're in their, their, um, their young 20s and they're hot and they're making all this money from all these dupes who come in there, spend all their money on these hot girls, you know? And I'm like, well, you're interfering with their bottom line. Uh, but, you know, I'm like, you know, it, it may shock everyone to hear, but people generally were not social distancing or masking up uh, in the nightclub when they're trying to uh, do coke in the bathroom and finger bang with the girl I just met um, <laughs> you know, five seconds ago, you know, and uh, but it was it was so gratifying to see people just like, you know, having fun every night, given everything else that was going on. Yes. But um, yes. I ended up catching I ended up catching COVID um, in December of 2020. So this was before the vaccines were rolled out. And yeah, that's um, when I got already. Oh, well, there you go. Um, and already yeah. at that point, um, I was aware, like just the whole idea that we're just going to have to stay inside and wait until this vaccine comes along. I mean, to my understanding, we've never, ever been able to successfully vaccinate against any coronavirus. So I'm thinking to myself, mm -hmm. well, how is that going to work? Um, but, you know, I don't um, and I, you know, I feel it so silly and so stupid. I'm sure you're, you're, you feel this as well, that I, I hate that I have to make this disclaimer because the the, the conversation has gotten so stupid, so shallow, and so toxic. I've never had any strong opinions about vaccines or vaccination. Like most people, I took it as a fact of life. I had my vaccines before. Um, if I were to book a movie tomorrow and they said, hey, you got to fly to this country, they need you to get the yellow fever vaccine. Guess what? I would take the yellow fever vaccine because I don't want yellow fever. I've already yeah. had COVID. Oh, yeah. And um, at, at that point, you know, there was already data coming out that were saying, well, you know, if you get this thing, um, you're you're pretty you're going to be pretty well protected. We don't, maybe we don't know how long for, um, but yep. so my attitude was just sort of um, you know I'll just wait and see how it shakes out. So I mean the original plan was to yep. just come down to Georgia and kind of lay lay low for a while until things blew over. But then our unions, the Actors Equity Association, which is our which is the Stage Actors Union and Stage Managers Union, and SAG AFTRA which is, uh, people know, you know, <laughs> famously uh, satirized in uh, Team America World Police as the Film Actors Guild. Let's not say that out loud. Um, but, uh, you know, but they, they began pushing these shots really, really, uh, really aggressively. And there seemed to be no room for people to really say, well, what if we don't really want these things? And already at the beginning, I was thinking to myself, 
well, when will you ever really be fully vaccinated against this thing? Are you going to require us because this thing's going to keep mutating? Like viruses mutate. Why are we pretending that we don't know this? Um, you know, and right. even I mean, even the even the flu shot. You know, it's yes. it, it's uh, kind of iffy, right? So how yes. are we going to do this? And uh, you know, it just it became very clear very early on that they that in order to be able to work as an actor, uh, you needed to get these shots. So in early 2021. Um, I began to get emails from my manager, my former manager, erstwhile manager. And, um, you know, I would get offers for things and they would say, does your client, um, is your client or does your client plan on getting uh, vaccinated? Uh, you know, or are they going to be vaccinated by the time they begin this rehearsal? So first of all, I'm like, it's just a weird question. You know, it's just, it's just a weird kind of thing to see in an email, you know, and and, um, you know, I, I just was straight with my manager. I said, I just don't plan on getting this thing. And, um, you know, I have my reasons, but, you know, and I, I feel blessed because, uh, you know, they weren't aggressive with me. Just over time, they couldn't use me because I couldn't work. And as you know, Drew, you know, they don't get paid if I don't work. And if I'm not right. working and I can't work, then I'm of, I've, I'm of no use to them. So, of course, eventually, yeah. you know, they kind of said bye-bye. And, um, but it became very clear that you weren't going to be able to work to get these things. There were already stories emerging of actors who would get like series regular, who would land series regular roles. I mean, these are life changing jobs for people, um, for people who, for whom employment is the, um, is the exception and not the rule, but mind you. Right. And, um, right. You know, they're, they're being replaced for these jobs. And what's really onerous is that when you, when you're talking about actors, um, you're talking about people for whom most of our most of our time is spent interviewing for other jobs. You know what I mean? And and mm -hmm. um, any any job that you get is going to be a miracle if you're someone who's fortunate enough to be working frequently as I was. And that's you know, that's just that is you're like in rarefied air. So but the thing is, yeah. if you decide to turn down a job, guess what? There's like 100 other people right behind you who is going to take this stuff. And it's an industry which attracts, yep. uh, let's say. Um, broken, damaged people who are very egomaniacal and want to uh, want to be stars. So there's no shortage of people who are going to take your spot. So if you do say no, if you don't want the, I mean, there's just a lot of extra pressure on you outside of the social taboos of saying, well, I don't want a vaccine. And I think what I think the issue is that people, when they see someone who says, um, well, I don't want this particular vaccine, doesn't matter how nuanced you are. I think what they see mm. is like, you know, Michelle Bachman or something talking about um, vaccines and autism or whatever. They, they think you're some kind of crazy, crazy nut job. I'm thinking to myself, well, no, I have female friends, for instance, who want to have children, but they're being cautious right now. Are they anti-vaxxers? I have, you know, one of my friends is a, who was disabled in childhood by a vaccine. He's a filmmaker, um, a wonderful, wonderful young man, and he can't get these vaccines. And um, but he's still treated like he's some kind of um, some kind of leper. Um, so. Well, I was going to say that that the sad part is it's one thing if this uh, these extraordinary measures to protect everybody again, safety Uber Alice were worked. They didn't even work. I, it, it it had some effect. Let's be honest. It had, there, I, I'm clear that the vaccine had some effect, and I believe there's T cell right. immunity from the vaccine. There definitely is T cell immunity from having had the illness. And hybrid immunity probably is really, really good. Like, I have hybrid immunity, and I don't seem to be able to catch this thing anymore. 
I, I've been around it. But you so had the much. original, like Clifton did. Yeah, and then I had right. Omicron. So, and, and then I mean, I've you didn't both. need the vaccine after getting it. No, I felt I didn't, but I was willing to take it. Then I had a terrible reaction to it. Uh, Caleb, you have my eye picture to throw up there. I was, I, I was the looking for it right Johnson, now. Like the day before they uh, came out with all the problems. Yeah, from the, it. literally the day before they canceled it. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I took it. Then I woke up with that black eye. And that is a, it was quite frightening because that is the sign of the clot in the brain that is associated with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. That's how it presents. So but he I'm, was already, he already had had COVID and we wanted to go to Greece. Right. So we had to get the vaccine to mm. get on the plane. Again, like, similar story to yours where you ha you don't need it, but you have to do it because the the policy. And he only and, wanted one. He didn't want to get two. I didn't want to get two. That's really the reason I did it. I, I didn't have any strong feelings about mRNA versus not. I just, and I did a little bit. The Johnson Johnson was a more traditional platform at that. Eh, mm. I've been exposed to those. Why not do that again? But, but. But the, the, the point, though, uh, just as this little sidebar that was so sort of astonishing about this is that this was a worldwide hysteria. It was a worldwide right. uh, a sort of rigidity that begged no alternative. And that's it's so hard to understand, uh, particularly now looking back. I mean, do people want to apologize? They want to adjust their position? Do they want to say, hey, maybe next time we have to do something different? I mean, what, what, you know... <laughs> This is this is not okay that, that we put the world through this. And as you said, at at you you said something very powerful. You said at at not at risk, but what was being sacrificed, and I'm gonna quote you, everything that makes life worth living. Those are your words, and I could not agree with you more strongly. Well, you know, well that's part of the trade-off then, isn't it? I mean, it's just um and you know, my if you look at some of my older tweets, you know, you you might see some um some ideas about these particular, particularly the uh, the mRNA vaccines, which people might find uh, gauche, shall we, shall we say? But I kind of backed off on that because you know it's not my place to um, to tell anybody what uh, they should or shouldn't be doing. And you know, my approach from for at least a year has been it should be a multi pronged approach. Um, you know, if that means uh, these vaccines for you, then of course uh, take them. Um, you know, yes, I, I have no, I have no issue with that. And, um, and you know, it's, but you, you can't even say that much, you know, it, it just seems like you're either, you're either pro vaccine or anti vaccine. There's just no, there's no right. ground. And, um, in terms of people, I mean, I see no contrition anywhere. I don't, I, and I doubt it's coming anytime soon, given the, the, what I call the collective cruelty that people have displayed, um, over the past, uh, past year or so. And it, it, going back to our the original part of our discussion, where we were talking about how people ran to one side of the boat all of a sudden for about you know with with strong opinions about something that they knew nothing about, uh, was this more of that? I mean, did this all come from some weird confluence of Trump and politics and media and and our pers our collective personality styles that are kind of you know, there's a lot of narcissism in the world, certainly in this country. Uh, is is there some, was this just some extraordinary moment or is it just another mass hysteria of history and of, of which there are so many? I, I, I'm trying to understand it and I'm trying to give it the most charitable spin I can as I try to understand it's, it. What do you think? Well, the, the, the way that I look at it now, you know, I, 
I have compassion for people who have been scared out of their minds because I was there too. Yeah. I mean, I'm literally, my, my, my roommate, my former roommate must have thought I was insane because again, this is like February of 2020. I'm, I'm in our apartment with, I called it my hazmat suit, my gloves on, my mask on. I'm just avidly trying to disinfect and scrub down every knob and handle you know, in the apartment, I've got my mail, yeah. I'm, I'm wiping that down, my keys, my tablet, my phone, even my groceries, I'm like wiping down my cereal boxes, you know, with these antiseptic wipes. And, um, you know, so I, so I have, I have compassion for those people, and they're still around. Um, but, uh, you know, when, when, and I think you said you're speaking to him later on, but uh, I think it was, it was either Peter McC no, I think it was Robert, Robert Malone, who was on Joe Rogan's podcast, and he, sort of introduced into the public sphere this idea of this mass formation, some say mass formation psychosis, um, this theory that uh, has really been popularized, I should say, by a guy named Matthias, uh, Matthias Desmet. Um, you know, I think one of the reasons it began to catch on was because at least, well, I can speak for myself. For me, finally, I had a name. I had a label, a framework on which I could hang all the things that I had seen over the past couple of years, because it's hard to, and I think for one, after four years of the Trump presidency, um, especially if you're in entertainment, I know you saw this. I mean, people lost their freaking minds. Um, oh, you know, all yeah. these, all these supposed adults just completely lost. And I mean, the emotional incontinence of children is what is what happened when Trump got elected. Mm. So I think they were already softened mm -hmm. up by that. Um, Twenty twenty. You know, it was an election year. Um, I think it's, you know, I think it's just a huge con uh, convergence of things. One, like you said before, the press, yeah. I mean, you know, if, if it bleeds, it leads. They have this big, scary thing because before, and I wish, I think I still have this collage somewhere, but, you know, there was, there were all these news outlets who in January and February were saying, it's just the flu. Don't worry about COVID, you know, so on and so forth. For, for all the guff they give Trump about, you know, trying to downplay the virus, that our press was doing the same thing, as was some of our uh, New York politicians, uh, so to speak, uh, now that I think about it. But um, then as the, you know, the fear wore on and it just was every day, it was like, you know, more new deaths, more new. And then and then they stopped reporting about deaths and it became cases. I noticed that as well. But, you know, cases mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. and cases that. And, and, and you know, so it's just... Um, they just they they I think it's the combination of a hatred of Trump, and we saw all of these people who are of the same who share a vision of the world as Thomas Sowell calls it, who work in media, who work you know the Democrats badly wanted to win after being embarrassed in 2016 by this non-politician, um, so they saw an opportunity maybe to use that as a wedge of some sort. Um, I think also, you know, people talk about conspiracy theories, this or that. I'm like, I'm like, no, you know, my job as an actor is to kind of break things down to simple human motivations. And I'm thinking to myself, well, if you look at how people respond to incentives, these pharmaceutical agencies, these politicians, these, uh, these, mm -hmm. our, our press apparatus, there's, you know, follow the money. It doesn't have to necessarily be this whole big evil plot or whatever. People could say, could be saying to themselves, right. I'm pushing this particular product because of my career. I'm not going to say anything about Anthony Fauci because I don't want to jeopardize my funding or my reputation. I'm not going to say anything mm -hmm. against what the government or the news is saying, because I don't want to be an outlier. I see what happens to everyone mm -hmm. else. You know, so there's all these sort of yep. human motivations that, that, that are combining um, in, in making one big mess. But part of the problem is that you have this small cluster of people, um, whether they be in academia or in the medical profession or, uh, or the press or, you know, or politics, 
this small number of people who have a disproportionately large uh, outsized uh, influence. And once all of those people, or at least once enough of those people become of one mind, then it's sort of all over for any kind of uh, nuance or any sort of um, other opinion being introduced um, into the um, into the public square. So it, it's hard to say, but the idea of like a mass formation, you know, people are sort of uneasy about the word psychosis is one of it. But I think it's sort of been induced in a lot of ways by, um, again, by politicians, by the press and just by a really, really social yeah. media is another it's another avenue. I mean, it's just really, really bad. People are losing their minds. There's one. There's one really interesting uh, construct in Dr. Desmet's uh, account for this mass formation, where he says, he says that you know there there are essentially four criteria that have to be met for this to develop. One is socially disconnected, isolated, loneliness. We've been in a loneliness spiral for quite some time. In fact, you know there's a loneliness czar in England, I believe. They have a loneliness like department that there has to be. A lack of meaning and purpose that, you know, millennials, that's all they complain about. They can't get meaning. That's everything's bullshit. Uh, that there needs to be some voice. He literally says a voice somewhere coming in that has some sort of um, uh, charismatic sort of impact on people. But he said, this was the really interesting part for me, was he said, you will then start to cohese in these social groups that become your source of connection. You're disconnected. Right. Now you have a connection. I am a pro-vax, pro-masking person, and I'm going to signal that, and I'll have rituals around it even. He talked about how rituals develop. We have a, there's a city nearby here where people wear masks routinely outside and have through the whole pandemic. And I just drive down the street going, mm. what, 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 what is going on? What do we do to these people? And and he and he has sort of explained it by saying the more ridiculous the rituals become, the more devoid they are of reason, the more they are a signal of the belonging for people who right. feel socially disconnected. And I thought, oh, that's that's really interesting. That that does seem to be a big part of this. Well, and again, it goes back to what I was saying, kind of what I was saying before is what's what tipped my alarm bells off initially was, you know, these ideas, I mean, I call it anti social distancing, this idea of you're covering your face, you can't communicate with people, you can't connect. I mean, there was, I remember yeah. one woman, I was in the Upper West Side in New York City. And, um, you know, I was walking around, just whistling and bopping, you know, like you do, everyone else is, uh, <laughs> it's the middle of summer, everyone else is masked up for some reason. And this older woman, she looked like maybe she was late 60s. Um, had the mask, you know, it was basically a chin warmer for her. And we made eye contact and she looked at me and she kind of removed the whole thing and said, I can't breathe in these things. And it's just, it's just so nice to see a smile. And yes, one of the things that became really disturbing for me, especially as, as an artist and, uh, you know, looking at how these other artists behave, we out of all people, should be aware of what it means to live and to be alive. We're supposed, to, especially as actors, we're supposed to be conduits of the human experience. And yet we had yep. these people just jumping on board and saying everything that makes being human, you know, fun and thrilling and challenging and dangerous, frankly, um, we are, we're pushing to the wayside and doing it so easily and so readily. That was a big thing for me too. Because yep. I began to say, yep. what kind of loser are you? Where you're just you're, mm -hmm. where you're willing to just lock yourself away for you know one year, two years, but not even that, not even that. But your children—that's that was a huge thing for me. And people call me selfish because of my views, but I'm like, look, I'm an atheist. I was offended when they when they closed the churches. I don't have any children. I was offended by the way that they you know when they closed schools and you know putting there are still people putting masks on their kids' faces right now. 
you know, or, you know, mm-hmm. that we're, we're forcing these shots on these children, or even to. young people. Yes. I mean, you know, and even, yeah. I mean, even before the pandemic hit, I mean, I know, you know, these numbers, I'm sure, but, you know, rates of anxiety, depression were already shooting up. I was seeing these headlines about mm-hmm. um, college aged women, both in North America and the UK, um, who were out drinking their male counterparts. You have all these people who are on antidepressants, all these people who are, you know, experiencing these really, really, uh, they're having a hard time. And this was over a decade ago. I mean, I'm in I'm in conservatory, right? And my teachers, even back mm-hmm. then, were saying, and this isn't this isn't a voice and speech class, right? They're saying, you know, well, part of the problem right now is that we're so stuck in these things, and we're mm-hmm. losing our connection to other people. It just, and so I oh, think yeah. all of these things kind of came together, um, and yeah. you know, we're atomized from each other. And then you add on the political divisions. You add on. The fact that I mean, it's just a, it's a huge clown show. People are watching, uh, you know, every day to yeah. see. Well, know, and the one the one, one gigantic error, one huge error at the outset, was our public health system decided that the Chinese Communist Party had it right. They believed what was coming out of there. No, I'm no, I'm not kidding. There's actually documentation know, of this now. I know. I know that they that they 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 went. That's the policy we need to follow. And what we have all learned, I hope, is that our constitution is set up in such a way that we centralize too much unchecked authority in public health that needs to be somehow mitigated there needs to be some sort of process around that because it's it's fiat it's absolute fiat it's been tested in court a couple times and it they're not diminishing it so there's got to be some sort of legislation around that so those so centralization of authority for me has been one of the big problems with all this but the other thing is back to the fear thing you know when i had covid in december of 2020 you know i'm a you know 60 some old year old guy with metabolic syndrome I'm I'm a moderately high risk from COVID, but even with severe COVID, which I had, my fatality rate was 1%. It was 1%. And people kept going, were you afraid? Were you afraid? I'm like, the the, the last, I, it didn't even occur to me <laughs> that I should be afraid. It's just miserable and it sucked. But fear of, of a 1% fatality rate does not make any sense medically. And, I, and I, right then I thought, oh man, we have done something awful to everybody. We really have. Or may, wait, I was Dece- Susan. Was I December twenty twenty? Yeah, uh, you, yeah, you Dece- my birthday. Yeah, were you December nineteen, Clifton, or December twenty twenty? No, he's December twenty twenty. Twenty twenty, same as December twenty twenty. Yeah. You got the same bug. Yeah, it was at the peak because you you went to the hospital to get a vaccine, right, and they the ran vaccine. you around in circles to get the vaccine. Yep. and then he caught COVID at yep. the hospital. That's what it probably happened. That's well, what, yeah. yeah thank you very much. And you know, and and for me, I mean, you know, I. I have a history of high blood pressure in my family. I was, I was prescribed Me meds for, for high blood pressure when mm-hmm. I was 25 years old. And um, mm-hmm. since then, you know, I've been able to, my levels are normal now because I'm, you know, I stick to the gym and I watch what I eat, which is hilarious to me because now I see people who are in nowhere near as good a condition as I am telling me that I'm a menace to public health because of my personal health choices, yeah. which is hilarious to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, so, sort of the uh, same thing. That's crazy. Let's get let's get directly at the vaccine choices now. Uh, I As soon as I saw the vaccine passport thing, I thought this is a catastrophe. This is something mm-hmm. that I can't believe we do in this country. And by the way, I don't know if you're aware, but the French youth have been pushing back with much the same logic you're using. It's just they had the same kind of feeling. I I found it very attractive to see them sort of pushing back the way they were. Um, But the the vaccine passport, you know, the the defense against in favor of it was, well, it's a choice for people not to get vaccinated. And my response to that was, 
Look, in New York City, the predominant population that is un unvaccinated is black. And black Americans have been not well served by the medical system, and their distrust is justified. They didn't choose that. That's our problem as medical providers. We need to help help cure that. But go ahead, Captain. Well, you know, that, that was one of the things that infuriated me the most, because especially, again, talking about the entertainment industry, after George Floyd's death, they, for some reason, I mean, I have never had an issue working as an actor, but yet... We're, I'm, I was led to believe that all of a sudden the industry is apparently super, super racist, right? So at, at a time where they're diversity hiring, like there's no tomorrow, where they're saying we need more diverse audiences, we need more diverse casts and crews backstage and behind the camera, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. At the same time they're doing this, they're implementing these policies, which disproportionately exclude uh, Blacks and Latinos mm -hmm. from the, mm -hmm. I mean, in, in New York, right? I mean, the Lincoln Center... Uh, you know, Broadway, the Metropolitan Museum, all these great institutions were saying, no, darkies, you can't come in here. And then they would say they, they would give these this like this lip service. When you put in those stark terms, it's like it's, you realize how disgusting no, you know what? it is. It's just Look, you terrible. Know, you, know, here's, you know what, Dr. Drew? So I had I had this tweet that went semi-viral yeah. and I said and I said the unvaccinated are the new niggers. And people got really upset by that. And I said, well, that's that is how we're treating these people. Yes, you could make yep. a choice to say, yep. well, I'm, I'm going to do this thing and, and inject this into myself. But the fact of the matter is you have all these people, the yep. same people who said in the middle of 2020, we uh, we uh, these twelve hundred medical professionals are going to sign on this letter and say that that racism is a public health threat. Well, they actually did make racism a public health threat when they in instituted um, when they when they imposed these passports. And I'm saying to yep. myself, this is a. This is literally by by the by the definition of Ibram X. Kendi, the godfather of mm -hmm. uh, of anti-racism. He literally says in the first mm -hmm. chapter of his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, that a racist policy, he never defines racism, by the way, but a racist policy is one which has disproportionate outcomes for different races. The vaccine passports mm -hmm. are literally a racist policy based on that definition. And yet they would give the, they, they would pay lip service to these, you know, to Tuskegee or whatever. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, hold on. Yeah. Now, yeah. you've spent decades, not just this pandemic, but decades telling black Americans that every institution in this country is racist against them. The, you know, the mm -hmm. education system, the prison system, you know, the and our, our hospital and medical system. And now you're expecting mm -hmm. black people to just line up and, and get this shot. I'm sorry, but, you know, and, and look, and there is an argument for it, right? If you have yeah. A population yeah. which has a high, higher rates of obesity, higher rates of you know hypertension, uh, diabetes, all these comorbidities. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. There is an argument for trying mm -hmm. to coax people to, to take this vaccine. And I get that. Um, at the same time, guess what? Black people, they, they, they don't want it for whatever reason. They don't want it. And you need to deal with that honestly and why that is. It's one of the reasons mm -hmm. why. I mean, there was a clinic here, Agreed. an urgent care clinic. Um, I um, so I got a really, really bad case of bronchitis right after I got my covid. And um, I like it's a pet. I adopted my, my COVID. I took it home from the from the vet. Got all the COVID. shots. <laughs> it's, uh, it's really cute. But, uh, we we um we had this clinic. It was April twenty twenty one. Sent out this email that said, um, you know, this pandemic has shown us the importance of vitamin D deficiency. And as I understand it, people with more melanin in their skin have a harder time processing vitamin D. And you know, again, there's more debate about this, but apparently vitamin D3 specifically has great antiviral benefits, you know, and that's outside the scope of this conversation. But my thing is, 
if we understand that there's going to be lower uptake in this particular demographic, and yet we know what the comorbidities are, then why aren't we attacking those things? Bearing in mind these people oh, are yeah. making their own choices. Oh, yeah. You know, why not push, yeah. you know, talk about weight loss? Why not talk about vitamin D? Yeah. Why not talk about, you know, well, eating better food, sleeping well, better? How dare you, Clifton? How dare you? Now now you're really treading on, t on delicate territory. Right. Yeah. You know, so you can't ridiculous. fat you can't you can't fat shame. You can't fat shame, so you're not allowed to talk about weight excess. You're just not allowed to do that, number one. It reminds me of how we're dealing with monkeypox. I mean, monkeypox, there's a clear risk population that needs to be helped, needs to be protected. And yet we're not allowed to say that's where, and that's who needs to get vaccinated. And that's where the behavior is just, just We need to protect them. Go ahead. I got, I got to, I got to jump right in because one, I actually had, I had a tweet when, again, it went semi-viral. I said, you know, maybe we should, I mean, most of the stuff I tweet is tongue in cheek because I realized early on, like Twitter's not a really great place to have these deep, uh, you know, sophisticated dialogues about things. Um, so I just kind of uh, shitpost a lot of the time, but I just, I said, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think maybe we should mandate a BMI of less than 25, but I don't want to tell people what to do with their bodies. You know, like it, it's wrong. And I had all these people who responded and were like, just say you hate fat people. I'm like, hold on a second. Oh, yeah, these people, these people yeah. are so stupid. Uh, well, let's say they're, they're so brainwashed. Let's say that. That they're they're yeah. more concerned yeah, yeah. about protecting fat people from words than they are than, than they are for protecting them from COVID, which can kill them. Yep. And so th yep. that's that's how you know they aren't thinking logically. But then with the monkeypox thing, there was a <laughs> there was a, um, mm -hmm. a, a a tweeter. He's he's blocked me now. A, a wonderful uh, gentleman named Greg Greg Consalves. Um and he mm -hmm. you know he was tweeting out about monkeypox or whatever. So I tweeted again completely. One, I mean, you know, I mean, it's satire, right? You, you, you make things absurd to, to prove a point. And I said, I think, <laughs> I said, I think, I think until all these gay men are back, until all gay men are vaxxed against monkeypox, they should be shunted out. Of, they should be become second class citizens and, and not be able to <laughs> move freely about. It was something like that. Uh, and yeah, he got yeah, so yeah. angry. He sent me this private message. It was like, I hope you're not serious about what you said. It's, it's ugly and evil and vile. And it was like, dude. This is what y'all have been doing the past year. This is exactly what y'all have been yep. doing. Of course, it's yep, obviously right. absurd policy. You can't do that to these people. That's the whole you point. You, you can't. Yes. You, I yes. wouldn't do it. You wouldn't. But they did. But they did. Yeah, that's you know? right. There and, it is. And, and they couldn't. Yeah. They couldn't see the hypocrisy. They, 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 they can't see themselves and how they're behaving right now. So I just had to get, yeah. get those two stories yeah. in there. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, here's what's the, oh, there's your, there's your tweet. <laughs> That's hysterical. Oh and, my yeah, God. Mandating a BMI of less than 25 would be incredibly effective in combating severe COVID, which is true. I mean, you know, however you feel about BMI. <laughs> but it would be wrong. Um, but it would be wrong to rob someone of the choice of what they do with their body. So people, yeah, po they, they focused right. on the first part of the tweet and they completely forgot yep. the second part of the, of the tweet. And yeah. you know, the, the mandates I, I, in, in there's a rule of virality. It's never what you said. It's what somebody said you said. It's never what um, you actually said. It's always somebody takes it and goes, he said we should be. Blah, blah. Okay. All right. All right. You're, you're a genius. <laughs> Crazy. Um, but, but let's go back to the, the vaccine for a second. Part of the reason they were able to carry out that discriminatory policy, in addition to the press refusing to discuss the risk population for COVID, the elderly, 75 plus, 
They also were refusing to highlight who was refusing the vaccine. In fact, the only group that I saw make an issue of it was Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Live had, had a skit about oh, a really? black family, you know, making everybody else get the vaccine. And it's like, okay, let's go get it. They're like, oh, no, no, not me. I don't, I don't want the vaccine. <laughs> no, 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 sorry. And, 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 uh, and, and what they were, the story they were pushing was that it was wealthy white females who were generally anti-vaccine in urban environments. That that's who was not taking the vaccine. That was the that was the narrative they were pushing as a way of avoiding this uncomfortable reality. And yeah. and I, I people should be really ashamed of themselves. This was a disgusting time and a, there were disgusting things done. Uh, that that vaccine passport thing. I, and by the way, I'm not against vaccine passports. I want them to do it in such a way that they don't create an outgroup. You got to figure out a way. They just we just forged right ahead with the whole thing, whatever. And well, now, in Europe, they did it. They let you take a back uh, COVID test. Like they had exactly COVID right. testing all over the city. If you didn't yeah. have the vaccine. They, there's a card. tent right over there. Take the you, know, you don't have your vaccine card. You got to do something. I mean, so there were certain restaurants you, you couldn't test. go in. Though it really was a breath of fresh air. We we were in France during the heat of the of the problem, and and they were just like, okay, well, we need you to do something because we're trying to control this thing and we're doing the best we can. They were very apologetic. It was not like where's your vaccine the way it was in New York City in in every restaurant I ever or went Pasadena. in. Pasadena. Well, New York was really bad that way, and, and and they would just say, "Hey, you know, there's a there's." They just very gently say, "Look, there's a thing right over here. You can go get you can go get the vaccine if you want. You can do what you want, but you have to do something here for us." And okay, we got tested. We got tested all the time. It's fine, no problem. I don't want to. I don't want to infect anybody. I'll get tested. That's fine. Uh, that was a reasonable thing. In the meantime, but it was like on, fifteen bucks. Or on, something. Yeah, it was a little expensive. On Friday and Saturday night, the French youth were out in the street. Uh, advocating for liberty because their position was, you told us we're not going to get very sick for this thing with this thing, and now you're going to require us to take a vaccine? No, that is right. against the founding principles of this country, and I would argue against the founding principles. So the of paddy wagons were lining well. up down the street under the. We were we were in a restaurant looking yep. down the street, and there were paddy wagons yep. just waiting for the protesters. Yeah, to come hauling out. away these young people <laughs> who were just advocating but for the principles of their government. But they were willing to do that. Yeah, they were very upset. They were, they were really awesome. They were just like, you don't understand. This is really important to us. Liberty is a founding principle, and they are they are obfuscating it. And I thought, oh, okay, I'm with you. <laughs> it's very attractive. I get it. But our country went, uh, we went, again, running to we the other side of the boat. We didn't do a good job. Well, we just, again, we've, we've, we've run, you know, we've, Clifton and I have really run the the you know run the the cycle tonight, and we we went through all the craziness. As as we sort of wrap up, Clifton, what what do you sort of how, how do you put it all together? Do you in some way are you, you going to go back to work as an actor? Are you going to keep speaking about this to libertarian groups? Or what, where where and did you ever imagine that's what you'd be doing? <laughs> it's so wild. But where 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 how would you make of all this, and where do you go from here? Well, it's difficult to say. Um, you know, right now. It, well, one, you know, I'm, I'm just now conquering a, a lot of deep-seated um, uh, resentment. And I mean, I spoke about it. If you listen to the rest of my speech, uh, I'm listening to a lot of, uh, you know, just deep-seated uh, resentment. And really, it, it's kind of difficult to imagine going back to work alongside people who just, you know, a month ago, and probably even still today, were saying, you don't deserve... Uh, any rights or freedoms. And I think you're a dirty, evil person. I mean, you know, it, you mentioned these ideas of who's not taking the shot. And uh, so many people have this idea that it's a bunch of like knuckle dragging redneck Trumpers who aren't taking yeah. this thing. And as we were saying before, right. I mean, black, black Americans vote 
over 90% Democrat. And yet they are the yep. least vaccinated demographic. And I just, I've seen nobody really come to terms with that. Um, I've seen no amount of contrition. I mean, you know, I mean, you sure you saw and, and your viewers saw that the, the CDC, they quietly relaxed their, you know, their, or changed their regular, yeah. their, their guidelines or whatever. Um, right. The entertainment industry has yet to respond. They've not said anything. Um, Tim Robbins the other day actually out something about this. They haven't changed anything. Um, they're still doubling yeah. down on this stuff. They're still keeping it in place. And, um, you know, I don't know why I, it's tough because, you know, I'm, I'm almost 40 years old and now I'm waiting tables. I mean, I did, my life doesn't make sense. I'm doing everything in reverse, right? No, normally you wait tables before you make it, but then I made it and now I'm waiting tables. I went, you know, mm. the complete opposite direction. So I, I don't really know what the future is. Um, you know, it's, it's nice that I've been able to, I, I will say that the more that I've sort of spoken my mind and have, uh, been honest about my my thoughts and opinions um the more that my visibility has uh, has grown um the podcast is going well the youtube channel is going well but it's not quite the same thing as you know being in front of an audience of 2000 people or you know trying to apply mm. your your trade in front of a camera i mean i know people really mm. don't care about actors that's fine but you know it was important to me it's what i did for 20 years i did my first play mm. when i was 16 i'm almost 40 now um i've never needed to develop any more skills because I was one of the few people who was working pretty frequently. I, did, I didn't need a survival job since about 2013. I was doing okay. And now it's like, you know, I feel like I'm starting over and that's not a really positive uh, proposition. I guess the, one of the good things though, is that, um, you know, there's, there are some artists out there we're finding each other. I mean, there was another Broadway star named Laura Osnes who, um, you know, she very publicly, um, decided she didn't want to take the uh, the shot either. And, you know, she, you know, I mean, we're in contact. I've got other friends, you know, just high caliber sort of New York or highly trained professional people. And we're trying to figure out um, what we can do to serve, you know, our audience who who is our customers. So, um, you know, so it's funny for now, um, I'm sort of riding the wave and following my gut in a lot of ways and it's landing me in the strangest of places. Um, but, um, uh, it's hard to really say what the future is for me right now. And, you know, I'm not sure as much as I want to work. Um, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the if you excuse the metaphor, I mean, I saw the masks, you know, they kind of came down and I've seen what these people can become. And when you're in a job where mm. it's a part of, you know, where it's part of your job to be open and emotionally vulnerable mm. with these people. Um, and, and, you know, and to be fair, they do, there is, you know, I understand why they're afraid. It's it's a job where, you know, you're making out with strangers. I mean, I probably made out with more women in, in auditions and a lot of guys get to do in their lifetimes. And that's kind of part of the job. But um, it's, it's, so, I mean, I understand what they're afraid of, but at this point, you know, it's almost 2023. We, we, I think we have a handle on this thing now and people are still persisting. I mean, there, there was an article that came out in the New York Times just the other day about sagging uh, um, audience attendance and so many of our major arts institutions. And I tweeted, don't feel sorry for these people. These are self-inflicted wounds. They didn't listen to anybody. Mm. Anyone who tried to say, mm -hmm. hey, you know, maybe the right way to go about it, they screamed them out of the room or out of the conversation. So um, it seems to me now that these people who are entrenched in, this, in these machines, whether they be Broadway, um, Hollywood less so, they, I mean, they got back to working really fast. <laughs> There's too much money on the line out there for them to just stop. Yeah. Um, but yeah. 
you know, with, with a lot of other performing arts. I said, you know, you people, in my estimation, are no longer fit for purpose. You allowed yourselves, especially if you're in New York City, you're in the artistic and cultural capital of the universe. Um, and yet mm -hmm. you allowed yourselves to be deemed non-essential by these feckless, inept, I would even say corrupt bureaucrats and officials. You're going to let somebody else, yes. you're going to let Bill de Blasio or Bill Gates or, or a scumbag like Andrew Cuomo tell you that you're not essential. Meanwhile, liquor stores are open, McDonald's stores, I mean, McDonald's is still open, but you can't, you can't work as an actor. You can go get, again, a lap dance down in Atlanta, but you can't, you know, do a Broadway show right now. But, you know, so why would I want to work with people who decided to say, uh, you know, I'll just sit back and let the government pay me not to work. Meanwhile, you have salon owners, barbers, gym owners who are fighting tooth and nail um, to keep their businesses owners. open. Exactly. You know, yep. and so once once I began yep. to see that and see these hardworking people actually fighting for their livelihoods versus what so yep. much of what the industry was doing, I said, yeah, I don't know if I want to work with y'all anymore. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, I knew you had something profound to say, and that, that is a very profound statement. And, uh, you know, I, as far as the, you know, the people with their businesses, I, I just, when, when we were in the darker hours of it, I just kept thinking about the businesses around Disneyland. And I kept thinking, Florida Disneyland is open. And if we just opened Disneyland a little bit, those businesses could get going again and people could, right, I mean, right. it's just, they just, it's, they're going to, they're not going to make it. It's just awful. The, the other thing is, uh, I, I want to, shine a little light on what you said about your professional career and that if anybody sort of makes light of what you've given up or what you've lost i, I you have you have to listen to clifton very very carefully he, he didn't he doesn't he doesn't uh I, I didn't know this about him but he let it slip out that he's a you know he's a acting a conservatory He's a conservatory graduate. This is the highest level of professional training for a performer. He's a you don't become a conservatory graduate student and and then try to do you know a lot of other things. I mean, you're a highly trained professional at that point. So much like me going to medical school, that's your that's your profession. And and acting is not just some sort of pastime that he luckily fell into. This is the real deal, you know, professional discipline of of performing. And right. it's it's no small deal that you've given it up or that you're waiting tables now. I might if I were my crystal ball tells me you'll be back. That's what my crystal ball tells me. Yeah, talent well, does have a way of finding its way back, but but I don't know if you're going to want to be back. That's <laughs> as you're saying. Yeah, it, it's it's tough, you know. I mean, and you know, I'm one of those people. I mean, so I went to NYU. They have a graduate acting program. It's it's one of the top three programs in the country alongside Yale and Juilliard. Yeah. I mean, Yale, eh, they're so-so. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Juilliard's okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, yeah. I'm one of those people that conservatives make fun of who took out an exorbitant amount of student loans. You know, you don't go to one of these schools yeah. to, to teach at some school in Wyoming or something. No. You go there because right. you want a career. And that's what I had. Mm -hmm. I worked and I sacrificed mm -hmm. a lot for that. And so, you know, but again, you could think whatever you want of actors, it was important to me, but you know, there's also, you know, military personnel, medical personnel who are going through the same thing. They've been, they've been doing their thing, you know, what they love, what their calling is for decades now. And they've been chucked out of their careers unceremoniously um, because of yep. these ridiculous onerous policies. And um, it's just ridiculous. Yep. And I, you know, I want some kind of retribution, but I don't know how it's going to come forward. I, I don't know either. I, I, I want it for you. L last thoughts here. Um, what do we make of people that say that cancellation either doesn't exist or is not so bad? Um, you know, 
there's a wonderful actress named Philippa Sue, aka Pippa, who made a viral tweet a couple of years ago. She did. She's most uh, well known for Hamilton. She uh, she was in the original cast, and she said she put out this viral tweet about you know there's no such thing as cancel culture, and I'm like, well, it's true. There is no such thing as cancel culture if you never if you never offer any opinions publicly that challenge this sort of far left orthodoxy. If you just stick to the script, so to speak, and you just say, oh, you know, everything that uh, that quote unquote progressives say is fine, then for you, there is no cancel culture. However, if you say, well, I think sexual dimorphism is real. Well, then you have an issue there. If you say to yourself, well, I'm not sure that affirmative action policies are all they're cracked up to be. I'm not sure defund the police is all is um, is the right way to go. I think we need to take another look and maybe tamp down on the on the climate alarmism and, and maybe have a, a more grounded conversation about if we want to make radical changes to our society and economy um, right now. You know, I, I have some issues with the way that uh, with some of the societal impacts of feminism. Maybe we should talk about that. Um, once you begin airing these kinds of opinions, that's when you discover very quickly that, uh, you know, or, or let alone if you voted, if you vote Republican. I mean, you can be an Ezra Miller. And, you know, be an alleged, alleged, um, you know, cult leader. Can we say the G word? Um, you know, you can do all these things and, you know, you can be in a, you could be a Harvey Weinstein or Steen, excuse me, and do all these things. No one will yeah. say anything about it. It could be an open secret. But yet if you happen to vote, conser- if you have to be conservative, a vote Republican, then you're, you know, there's something you're, you're an unperson. And I'm not someone who's particularly white right wing. You know, I say I'm a pot smoking pro-choice atheist who loves like battle rap and show tunes and Judy Garland. Like I don't have a comfortable home on the right, but you know, because of, I have certain opinions that don't really go along with that thing. And so it's just, you, you know, you learn pretty quickly just to shut your mouth and not say anything. So for anyone who says there is no cancel culture, I just think, well, you're probably a boring person who doesn't really, you know, step out in the skinny branches and kind of, you know, speak your mind truly, because then you understand once you see the sort of pushback you get from, from people, um, what we're talking about. Yeah. I I'm only interested in talking to people that have differing opinions. You know what I mean? I, it's like, it's like you said, it's so fun. everything in the life. Yeah. Right. It's just, that, that's how I expand my understanding of things. It's how I get excited. It's, 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 it's what this country I thought was all about. And to, to lose that is a huge, I just refuse to do it. And by the way, in the meantime, you're sort of an independent. You're in the middle where I guess I'm hearing most of the country is. I, I don't know. It's hard to tell anymore the way the, the world's represented in the media. But listen, my friend, um, you did not disappoint. In fact, you exceeded my expectation. I, I knew you had a lot to say and I knew it'd be very interesting. And I really appreciate, as you said, um, I think you said something like you you know things things were happening that um you know you didn't expect and I'm sure sitting here talking today was one of those things that you didn't expect but here we are and and but but it's just a symptom of many other things that are going to happen to you that will lead to other things that will happen to you and let me just say it out loud if anybody wants to represent Clifton Duncan who's a manager agent type uh where should they just tag you on Twitter yeah, you know, my DMs are open. Um, if you search, you can find an email address for me. Maybe leave me a YouTube comment or something. But, uh, you know, I'm, yeah, I would I'm, say I'm, some pu- public speaking. If you represent, if you're a public speaking bureau, if you are uh, looking for some digital talk show type host person, I think I think you got somebody here and all that stuff. And I don't know if that's what he wants to do because he's he's a trained killer when it comes to acting. And that's what he should be doing. I hate to see all that uh, effort go, you know, unused going forward. So. We'll see. 
we'll see. It's going to be very interesting. And I hope you'll stay in touch with us and let us know how you're doing. Oh, I hope so too, Dr. Drew. It's really, uh, it's really been a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, as unexpected as it may have been. Unexpected. Another unexpected thing. <laughs> Here we are. But just keep speaking your mind and more unexpected things will happen, I suspect. Thank you, my friend. Clifton Duncan, everybody. You can get him, uh, Clifton A. Duncan on Twitter and Clifton Duncan online uh, on Instagram. Uh, Caleb, I want to check in with you. I know you've been posting a lot of stuff off the Restream for us and a lot of the interesting comments. I, I thought oh, yeah. I've been too involved with Clifton to really read them. I read them alongside. I saw them as they were coming up, but I didn't have a chance to highlight them. A lot of a lot of support. People are it's it's mm. it's across the board where it's people that it's it's the pro vaxxers and the anti vaxxers can agree that we don't want mandates. It doesn't it it yeah. don't yeah. mandate things across the board for everyone when this should be individualized care between a physician and their patient. Everything else, it's like it should just yeah. the conversation should stop right there. It should be my body, my choice. That's it. That's the end. Don't. Yeah, that's how uh, this idea that you're th look at how faulty the I, the idea had been. You're you're selfish and you're going to infect other people. Turned out that's not what people were that were concerned about the vaccine. They were just concerned. They were just you know thoughtful and resistant. And I I get it. You know I I you know I've been talking about this a long time. And we now have other options. You have Novavax. You know Covaxin's coming. You have other things. Um, but you know I we don't even have an Omicron vaccine yet. That's not been approved yet. So. You know, there's some reason to take the vaccine. It's not that there's no reason. The question, as always, everybody, is what's the risk? At what risk? What's the risk-benefit analysis? And there is some benefit, even with the non-Omicron uh, vaccines, that you're getting some T-cell immunity. Read Monica Gandhi's work. She'll, she shows it all. She shows her work there in long form on Twitter. Um, how good is that that uh, immunity? Not that great. Not that great. It's, it's really not specific against Omicron, and we probably ought to be getting Omicron. And there may be another nasty variant ahead. That may happen. But this is an endemic illness. Everybody will get it. And uh, don't be so afraid of it. Keep the risk populations, keep them well vaccinated, and have the Paxlovid on ham. And uh, we, we've got uh, many, many more treatments coming down the pipeline as well. Oh, yeah. So and I, uh, I think all that, that said, it needs to be, go ahead. I think it needs to be said that all of this is being being brought to you by two people who like we we got the vaccine we're speaking about personal yeah, freedoms yeah. and decisions yeah. being made between yeah, yeah. a person and their physician i got the vaccine i actually believe that because i got the vaccine and the boosters that it actually helped me whenever yeah. i had covid i had zero breathing issues it was just really just like awful it felt like a terrible flu for two weeks that came up positive as a COVID. and, and let's test. remind ourselves you know, caleb is on immunosuppressive medication yeah. it could have been bad so it really was important for him he made a good choice that was the right thing to do the risk reward was worth it even though it we was, don't know the long-term risk of the mrna vaccine we don't yep. if for caleb clearly worth it clearly worth it my, for me, my government I did not tell me so what badly to do. i got i got covid trying to get yep. the vaccine so you know that's where i was with it but once i got once I got COVID, I'm like, well, that's that's good enough immunity for me, and that that's all right. But then I had to take something, and I, I between thought, between me right, and my doctor, immunity. not me and my yeah, government. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's that that is, you know, we have to do something about the excessive authority we have vested in public health. Uh, there's a really funny. Mm, Oh, I don't know if I should share this. I, I've been debating with myself. Caleb, I'm going to send it to you. It's a video that is really, really, really uh, funny and satirical, but it's about public health in L.A. County. And uh, 
It's spot on. It's absolutely spot on. And I'm sending it to you, and I'm asking you to watch it, and I'm asking you to tell me, should I retweet it? Should I? Should we feature it some way? <laughs> Is this if, something I should stay away from? So If we'll so, see. then I'll post uh, it up on this post over here, the website okay. that's linked over okay, to the side. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. If you want to know what it felt like to be in L.A. County, and what I'm sure was, obviously it's excessive, and it's, it's comedy, but the kinds of things that were going on behind the scenes were not probably not that far off. Uh, all right, you guys, thank you so much. Uh, tomorrow, uh, f- 3 o'clock Pacific time, we have um, our friend Naomi, Naomi Wolf there. She is. Let me see if I have her book here. I God, I had the book here. You know what? I gave it to Susan, I f- and I made her read it. I said, you got to read this thing. We're going to hear another, kind of like Clifton's story a little bit, a firsthand account of how things went off the rail. I want to kind of keep the conversation there. Of course, Kelly Victory may want to hear some more stuff, um, but we'll keep it right in that zone. So thank you all for being here. Sorry we didn't do much questioning today I, I from the Twitter spaces. I doubt we're going to take much calls tomorrow, but Thursday will be all calls, all questions, only me and you guys calling. And uh, please do show up again on Twitter spaces if you uh, are interested in hearing from Naomi Wolf. That will be tomorrow, 3 o'clock Pacific time. We'll see you then. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor, and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help.